Good morning. Who's excited to be alive? Somebody is. <laughs> it's about 10 o'clock, 10.30 now, so we should have warmed up. I'm sure you've had a coffee. You're ready to go. But how good is it to be alive? Um, last week, we had a guest speaker, Steve San Martin, who was here, and he stirred us up about our privilege to share the gospel. And one of the main things he said was that we're all called to do the work of evangelism. We're all called to do the work of evangelism. And at the moment, for the month of August, we're going to talk about the privilege it is to share our faith, to evangelize, to tell people the good news about what God has done. And before you drop your heads and think, oh, this is a month where I have to put up with people telling me something that I actually should be doing, but it's about once a year that we hear this type of thing. My heart and my desire through this month is that we actually grow closer to God and get His heart for humanity. Because without His heart for humanity, we're going to just go and tick a box and come back and say, well, that's good, we did that for the week. And how many know that that, that can be important, but the greatest thing we can do is have a heart like He's got. Consider this for a moment. As believers, as Christians, our, our aim is to grow closer and cr closer to Jesus. If that is what is happening, then shouldn't our heart burn for what his heart burns for? If you're re reading through the Gospels and all of a sudden you keep looking at this, this great disparency between the life of Jesus and your life and it gets further apart, then I'd probably say you're not following Jesus. Maybe you're following someone's Facebook, someone's post, maybe a celebrity. You might be following a set of rules and values that you have for yourself. But the point is that as we embark and as we journey in this lifestyle of following Jesus, we should actually be coming closer and the things that break his heart should break ours. The things that bring joy and glory to him should bring joy to us. This is the lifestyle of a Christian, of a believer. As I was thinking about this series on evangelism, I've also been thinking about this thought of eternity a lot. And I think Josh has been saying it several times in the last couple of weeks and it challenges me every time he says it. He says, Today when you drive down the street or today when you see someone out in the community, you'll probably never see them again. And all those people you drive past, even for a, 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 a split second on the highways, on the roads, every time is a soul, is a, is a, is a, is a person that has an identity and has an eternity. And... It is a fairly serious topic that this is the reality. Is that we're living in a community of people that don't actually know Jesus. 
They've never experienced their sins forgiven. They've never experienced all the benefits that Christ offers for us on this life, let alone in eternity. And the Bible's very clear that we're eternal beings. We either spend eternity with Jesus. As Carol was talking about, imagine just the fact that worship and and just doing life with Him and His presence and all the other adventures that He would have for us. I don't believe heaven's just going to be us sitting on clouds and playing harps. I actually believe that we're going to be very busy in heaven and fulfilled. And, but, the, but, but the opposite reality is there's people that are totally ignorant of the faith in Jesus. That if somebody doesn't tell them, they will go to a eternity without Christ, to hell. And although that might be a bit of a dampening topic for a Sunday morning and straight up, this is the reality, is that we have a privilege and even more so we have a responsibility to share the good news of Jesus with others. If you can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4, we're going to read quite a bit of scripture this morning, John chapter 4, we're going to start from verse 3 and read down to verse 35. John chapter 4, verse 3. We'll start at verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. So the woman said, you have nothing to draw with this as the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go. Call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you have five husbands and the man that you, that you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. So the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. 
Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Just then his disciples returned and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields, for they are ripe for harvest. This is a fascinating passage for a lot of reasons. But I want to just set the context of the town that Jesus actually and his disciples actually walked into. We read here in scripture that this town was called Samaria. Samaritans lived there. And I would like to propose that our context of Samaritans is a lot different to the context for Jesus and his disciples. Our context today of Samaritans is probably only this. And that's that you've heard the, the, the phrase, a good Samaritan. At least for me, that's the only context outside of really the Bible that I understand, have an understanding of what a Samaritan or, or what, this, what this, this line, this phrase even means. And so our concept of a Samaritan is someone who helps other people. We know this from the parable that Jesus told about this man who was beaten up and this Samaritan comes and helps him. Hence why we have the term a good Samaritan. And so in life, if we get someone who's been knocked down and someone comes along, maybe they buy them groceries at the checkout or they do something um, crazy and generous, we'll often turn around and say, hey, that's a good Samaritan. This is our context of what a Samaritan is. But this was not the context 2,000 years ago. Rather, the context 2,000 years ago was in exact opposition to this notion of a good Samaritan. The Jews hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated the Jews. 2,000 years ago, if you walked into this environment, 
where there's conversations, where there's interactions between Jews and Samaritans, it would be one of 500 years of hostility. 500 years of hatred. 500 years of racial tension, of cultural differences, of discrimination, of anger, of tension between these two groups of people. The context in this story is a lot different to what we understand now. And so we see here the story when Jesus is seemingly deliberately going to this town in Samaria and he walks into an environment of hostility, of tension, of dysfunction, not for a couple of years, for 500 years. How many know that recently we all celebrated, and I hope we're definitely all Queenslanders here, but we all celebrated the State of Origin series win. There's some claps. We got some born-again people here. That's good. <laughs> How many know that it's a fairly fierce environment, the State of Origin that comes around this time every year? There's some hostility. And I love the beginning of the series where It'll either be one player or a few players from each side will make this outrageous statement to the media and they say, I hate the Queenslanders. And then one of the Blues will respond and say, I hate the Queenslanders. And then they'll go even further and say, even since I was a little boy watching State of Virgin on TV, I hate Queenslanders. And so this rivalry has gone on every year And we see the spectacle, we see the stadiums that are packed out, all fueled by so-called hatred. How many know that the hatred actually doesn't go that deep? We do see when the whistle blows at the beginning of the game that these these full-grown men and women now are running as fast as they can to not only win the game, but also sometimes to injure each other and make life miserable. But we do see that the end of that 80 minutes or the end of the series, there's a lot of handshakes going on in the middle of the field. There's a lot of discussions. We all know that a lot of these guys are teammates because they come from the same, a lot of them the same clubs. And so although in our context we say that there's hatred in this state of origin, let me propose that it was a little bit different to the hatred that the Samaritans and the Jews had 2,000 years ago. I think Origin's now coming up to, is it 30 years? Kim's no longer here, so we've lost all our state of origin prowess. Someone better pick up that mantle. But here we have 500 years of hatred, animosity, dysfunction, tensions, differences, and discrimination. And Jesus seemingly deliberately walks right into the middle of it. Our main couple of verses that I want to read this morning is from verse 27. And 
Let me just read a few verses here again, then we'll, we'll have a chat. Just then his disciples returned, and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did, could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, verse 31, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. Let's stop right there. We have this story where Jesus has come and he's having this, this interaction, this conversation with this woman at the well. He's saying some incredible things and he, he's saying things like, hey, you've come here to draw physical water. I can give you water that's everlasting so that you don't have to go from dry old well, dry old well, another dry well, which has been your life up to this point. And she turns around and says, I don't have a bucket, essentially. She's not getting what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about this level, and she's stuck here. But then, her encounter with Jesus is so, so, so fascinating that she goes, hey, you must be a prophet. Hey, maybe you're the Messiah. And she, she heads off to go tell people to come and see this man. As she heads off back to the town, the disciples turn up. They've got their pepperoni pizza. Here they arrive. It seems like they've even got a little doggy bag for Jesus. They're very thoughtful. And they arrive on the scene and say to Jesus, hey, have something to eat. And he turns around and says, I have food that you know nothing about. And they look to each other and goes, did someone sneak him a Big Mac that we don't know about? Did someone give him a burrito or a milkshake? John, did you give him a protein bar? See, Jesus is talking about something at this level and they're still stuck at lunch. And it's fascinating here in the next verse it says, My food, says Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says, I have food that you, have, you know nothing about, fulfilling the will of the Father. And here we have the disciples, and I know we would all laugh and we all think it's funny, but the reality is we, we would just be as, as thick as them. They're still here thinking he's talking about lunch. You see, the disciples were meal-minded. The disciples were meal-minded. This level of thinking is based on, where's my next meal? Where's the next thing that's going to help me? Where's my next compliment? Where's my next relationship? Where's the next person that's going to pat me on the back? Where's the next meal that I need? 
And we see here that the disciples came into the environment of Jesus and they were meal-minded. Their whole focus was about lunch. And they came into an environment where Jesus was mission-focused. We have the disciples that were meal-minded. They had concerns about lunch. They had concerns about their own well-being. They had concerns about their self-preservation, their comfort. And they walked into an environment where Jesus said, we're going to put aside the big, the big Mac and the burrito because there's a greater purpose at play here. Because he was mission-minded. Mission-minded people, often in seasons, they'll do things that will look a little unorthodox. Mission-minded people have purpose. Mission-minded people, there's some conversations they will not engage in. There's some things they will not do. There's some things they will not watch. There's actually some opportunities mission-minded people will say no to when it seems logical. There's also opportunities that they will say yes to. Mission-minded people operate differently because they understand this key thing. They understand that it's harvest time. They understand what season they're in. And sometimes we're in a season when it's harvest time is like, hey, the, the doggy bag can wait. There's a greater purpose at play here. And this is what Jesus demonstrated. He said, thanks, guys. I appreciate your thoughts about my, my well-being and my lunch. But there's something greater here. And he said, the lunch is going to have to wait. We decide what level we want to live. The meal or the mission? You and me get to decide what level we're going to live at. Whether we be like the disciples and operated in this meal mindset or what like Jesus, he was operating in a mission mindset. How many would you agree with me that you've wasted many days with a meal mindset of convenience, of comfort, preference, self-preservation, rather than living on mission? The Lord's been encouraging, uh, challenging me even this week because we got some stuff going on in our life and it's like, it's not that we're doing wrong things, it's just the things we're doing is really good. But it's like, hey, there's a bigger purpose here. When it's harvest season, sometimes those things we're doing which are good, we need to push them to the side and say it's harvest season. In verse 28, it says that this woman, after she had this encounter with Jesus... 
it says that she left her jar and went to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the, the Messiah? Oftentimes we're in a season of our life and we're dealing with a meal mindset. Maybe we're in survival mode. Maybe we're believing for finances, we're struggling at work, maybe there's health issues, maybe there's relational issues that we're working through, and it's like, hey, we're in a meal-minded lifestyle, season. How many know that this woman who went and told everyone about Jesus, she actually did, she wasn't in a perfect season. I find this fascinating because earlier on we read that she's talking about water, like the H2O, and he's talking about living water, and she's still looking for a bucket and missing the point, and yet she goes, and it wasn't like she was 100% convinced. She goes to people and she says, maybe this is the Messiah, but come and see. And what the Lord's been challenging me recently about is, hey, let's not wait till we have everything perfectly worked out in our life. Because oftentimes we can sit here and we'll say, hey, we're in a tough financial season. So Lord, once you get me out of this tough financial uh, season, then I will give generously. See, that's a meal mindset. He wants us to have a mission mindset that says, hey, you're in this tough season, what have I asked you to do? Or maybe you're like, hey, I've got these health conditions, I'm working through this, I've got to get, get you know, these health things resolved, and once that happens, then, hey, I'll be the first one out preaching the gospel. I'll be the first one out sharing my faith once Jesus has healed me, and I'll have this incredible testimony. That can be a meal mindset. But what about in the journey if we had a mission mindset? What about in the journey if we said, hey, I'm not going to allow perfection to dictate my ability to share my faith and to be on mission and on purpose? Or maybe it's like, hey, my kids are struggling, struggling at school, there's all this stuff going on. Once we get that resolved, then we'll start helping out that, then, then we'll open our home and then we can do this, 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 what God has called us to do. But we see this woman who even though she was nowhere near in a perfect season of her life, she still had misunderstanding. She went and she said to people, come and see. We get to decide what level we want to live at. Meal-minded or mission-minded? It challenges me because oftentimes when we're in this meal-minded attitude, we're looking at self-preservation. We're looking at, okay, I need to get healthy. I need to do this. I need to do that. Once we get to that point, then I can do what God has called me to do. And he's saying, hey, the harvest is ripe. The harvest is ripe.
verse 35. Jesus said, Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. This is crazy. So here we have this woman run off to the town. She tells them about, come and see this man. The disciples come back. They start talking about lunch. Jesus says, hey, I've got food you know nothing about. They don't really understand what he's talking about. They thought he had a snack. And then the next moment is, here comes this woman and these people cresting the hill. And what does Jesus say? He says, look, here comes the harvest. Now let me take you back to the beginning of the context of this. If I was one of the disciples of Jesus, I would look up and say, that's not a harvest, that's a problem. 500 years, remember. What do we think of when we hear harvest? Blessing, increase, sit down, put your feet up and just open your hands. This is what we think of. If someone comes and prophesies over someone and says it's harvest time, it's like, oh, finally, put my feet up. Blessing. I get to relax. I get to enjoy all this stuff that God has for me because I've been sowing for so long. Now it's reaping. Now it's harvest. But how many know that even in the natural, harvest time is really busy? Harvest time is the earliest mornings, the latest nights. Harvest time is a lot of work. It's a lot of mess. It's a lot of things going on. And here we have the disciples and and they look up and they see 500 years of hatred cresting the hill, 500 years of hostility, racial tension, cultural differences and discrimination. And Jesus points at that and says, that's the harvest. And I believe they would have turned to Jesus and says, hey, that's not a harvest, that's a problem. Let's get rid of these guys so that we can get onto the harvest. This four-month harvest, this is incredible, Jesus. You've just promised that we're going to see a harvest. Let's get rid of these people that are going to be in the way so we can get on with the harvest. And he says, now the very thing you're looking at is the harvest. I would like to propose this morning that maybe when Jesus says harvest is different to what you think harvest should be. Maybe you're in a season of your life where, hey, I'm just in turmoil, I'm in trouble. Addiction, sin, everything is like it keeps following me. Issues, circumstances. You call them problems, but I believe out of this, it could be the most fruitful season of your life. Because when we see issues, when we see problems... He says, hey, that's harvest time. Of course, the context of this is talking about evangelism. It's talking about sharing our faith. 
Or maybe you're in a workplace and you're just like, hey, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm praying for revival. I'm praying for God to do incredible things in my workplace and get me out of this workplace. It's dysfunctional. And he turns around and set, points at it and says, that's the harvest. That place that you want to get out and you keep praying for the Lord to, to relieve you from. Maybe here in this season saying, hey, that's the harvest. And you're saying, no, 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 God, I'm, I'm waiting for the blessing. I'm waiting for the harvest. And he's like, it's right in front of you. Or maybe you're dealing with issues at home and he's like, hey, your family right now, that's the harvest. That's reaping time. That's a place where I'm going to do incredible things. How many know that we would all love for thousands or hundreds of people to come here and line up neatly at the front and in order and give their life to Christ? But here 2,000 years ago, we saw something very different. We saw people coming to Jesus and it wasn't ordered. It wasn't nice. There was a lot of tension. There was a lot of issues going on in the mix in this environment. And he called it a harvest. As I finish up this morning... I want to encourage us, and this has so challenged me particularly this week. If you're, in a, if you're in a season where there's a lot going on, sometimes we can go into self-preservation. And I'm not saying we shouldn't look after ourselves and our family, but all I'm saying is that there's times when it's harvest time and we need to push the, the burrito and the Big Mac away. And we need to say, hey, I perceive that this is harvest time. I perceive that the Lord is doing something strategic. And so it's not like I'm going to neglect my family, neglect myself, but it's harvest time. We decide what level we want to live in. A meal mentality or a mission mindset. As I finish up, I want to leave you two things that I believe will help you transition from a, a meal mindset to a mission mindset and number one is an encounter with God we see that this woman here at the well she had an encounter with the person of Jesus Christ in James chapter 4 verse 8 says if you draw near to God he will draw near to you what do you think happens as you draw near to God you're going to find the most loving compassionate person on the planet As we draw near to God, He draws near to us as a perfect Father. And whatever the issues are going on in our life, we can't expect anything less than a supernatural experience of the actual Creator of the universe that actually comes, not only lives inside us, but actually comes alongside us and, and has an encounter with us. Number one, have an encounter with God. Draw close to Him. Number two, is have an environment or be in an environment of mission-minded people. We all know that the disciples had had an encounter with Jesus. They were having an ongoing encounter with Jesus. Yet in this moment, they become meal-minded. And so it was them coming back into the environment of Jesus where I'm sure after he started... Um, after this passage, I'm sure they started, wow, yeah, 
We're all about mission here. There's something that happens when you're in the environment with mission-minded people. I've had the privilege for a couple of months to, to be out sharing, the, sharing, um, sharing with people at the courthouse with Josh and the evangelism team. And there's some wild people that are out there. I'm not meaning wild on the streets. I'm meaning wild from our church. These people are passionate about sharing their faith. And it actually sharpens me. It has an impact on me. Every time I go there on a Thursday morning, these people, they live and breathe sharing their faith. And there's been such a privilege to stand with people in the middle of Kabulcha and just simply share the faith about what Jesus has done in our lives and, and share it with them. But what I've found out as I hang out with these type of people, these incredible, passionate, mission-minded people, that the next day when I'm at Inflatable World with my kids, I naturally start having a conversation with this guy and have an opportunity to share the gospel with him. The point is that if we are in an environment of mission-minded people, it actually affects us. But we have to do both. We have to be intentional about sharing our faith and in groups and and, and, and if you're like, hey, that's me, I'll say, go see Josh. There's about five initiatives, I think, that he's launching and incredible opportunities through our community. Or maybe you're just like, hey, to be honest, I just have a heart that really doesn't care for humanity. I have a heart that really does not care that people potentially are dying and going to an eternity without Christ. And if that's you, I'd say, draw close to God. Let Him encounter you. I'm just going to pray. Once we close the service, there's going to be time for ministry at the front. And if you say, hey, I'm, I'm just operating in this meal mentality. Where's my next meal? Self-preservation. Convenience. All the things that just revolves around me and my cat and my family. Maybe that's you here this morning and you're like, hey, I want an upgrade. I want an upgrade in the way of thinking in my heart to, to, to where I'm, I'm mission focused. And we're going to close the meeting in a moment. If that's you, we're going to open up the front to pray for you and believe for you that God will do incredible things. Also, if you're here and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus this morning, I invite you to come out as well. You've never had your sins forgiven. Maybe you've been even, even in church for a long time and today you want to make a fresh new start. I invite you to come. And of course, if you're here and you need God to touch your body in any way, you're welcome to come as well. But why don't we pray just before I hand back over to Carol. Lord, we thank you that your heart is beating for humanity. 
to the point where you sent your only son to die that we might come into relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would burn this deep within our heart. Lord, that as we get closer and closer to you, Lord, that your heartbeat would just become our heartbeat. Lord, that as we look at ways to intentionally engage in sharing our faith, Lord, that you would open doors, you would create opportunities. And in this we pray, amen.